welcome to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast, which features interviews and discussions on all issues relating to high quality in the early years and school age sector. In our episodes, we have a range of speakers who are leaders in the areas that matter to Early Childhood Ireland members. This series of the podcast is proudly supported by Aricus Insurance, which offers a comprehensive range of cover at discounted premiums for both business and personal insurance products. So, Pop over and visit www.aricus.ie for more information. So in this series of the podcast, we're looking at communicating. We're familiar with the Reggio Emilia term of the 100 languages of children. So in the current episodes, we're looking at some of the ways in which children communicate. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Smith, Creative Social Inclusion and Learning Officer at Recreate in Dublin. Liz is from Dublin. Uh, She has a physical disability being born with one hand. She did a degree in fine arts sculpture and has 20 years experience facilitating arts in all kinds of different contexts. She has an MA from the NCAD, the National College of Art and Design in Socially Engaged Art. She has a four-year-old son who is currently being assessed for ASD. Liz, you're really welcome and thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thanks so much, Maura, for having me. Thank you. So um, I suppose I'd like to explore your thoughts on um, how creativity uh, in, in in its broad terms, um, visual arts, creative reuse being um, from Recreate, um, how these avenues and various media uh, support children to communicate how how what you do with with recreate in in creativity and visual arts um, supports communication and that concept of the hundred languages. Mm, okay, thank you. Yeah, um, well, recreate was set up with the intention of these reuse materials being open ended, so really lending themselves perfectly to process led child led play. Or, and creativity. Um, and so they're, they're great in loads of ways. They're great because they're economical, they're ecological. Um, and so they tick many, many boxes and they are very, um, yeah, very, very open-ended. Um, so that's the perspective that we come from, particularly when it comes to early years practice. Um, and I suppose we try to support our members and um, the wider early years uh, practices uh, nationally to support them in um, process led play. Because I, I though we, we talk about it a lot and of course it's part of the Ashtar curriculum or the Ashtar approach. But um, I think often it's, it's harder to do in reality than than we think. I do think it is quite hard. And I think, you know, practices are under so much pressure and then we can maybe invent pressures culturally. um, I think which, uh, you know, we can refer to the template maybe as a pressure and unnecessary pressure that we place on ourselves because we think that adults have a particular expectation. And I place the same pressures on myself as well. So I fully, fully understand it. And I don't think... Um, I don't think that templates need to go out the window or anything like that. But I think um, I think they're very useful for children as they grow older and for adults. However, for early years, I, I really think it's it's important to really try to steer clear 
or ask ourselves more questions about our activities before we do them, basically. Um, and so, yeah, so so our practice in, in Recreate is to try and support that and, and develop our own practice and find new ways of supporting um, uh, practitioners and children to be more confident because that's what I think of basically the the nucleus or the importance of um, process-led activities is choice. And through choice, people develop their preferences and through knowing and being allowed the space to express and discover your preferences, that builds self-esteem. So there's there's so mu- mu- much positivity to process-led art that I think it is well worth pursuing and it is well worth asking those questions and taking a step back all the time from our practices. And I continually do that. I need to continually do that. Yeah. I, I think there's that bit, isn't there, about kind of valuing the voice of the child and seeing mm-hmm. how children can communicate to us through their um, creative um, experiences that, you know, I suppose if a child is gluing a pre-cut um, holly leaf um, and berry on. It's not giving the child the opportunity to express him or herself. It's adding work and pressure to educators who already have plenty to do. Um, and that when you see, I think, you know, when we were having our, our chat, I think I told you about an experience I had in a setting many years ago around the time of the Christmas tsunami. It was maybe that January or February and the child had painted a, a picture that was covered in, in black. And I overheard an educator say, you know, tell me about your picture. And this child lived near the sea. And she said, it's the dirty wave taking away all the people. Which was a very profound way of the child expressing her knowledge. What she had heard about the tsunami and um you know, it gave her the opportunity to kind of say, I've heard this. I'm not sure what impact this will have. I live near the sea. I go to the beach very often. Could this be something that will happen to me? Whereas if the if that child had a colouring in sheet or had uh, was just gluing pre-cut things, she wouldn't have had that same opportunity to um, express what was what was in her head. Um, So I think when you say take a step back, that's the really important bit about, you know, why do we encourage creativity? Why do we value it? And what opportunities is it giving a child? Well, there you go. You've you've said it. And that's a brilliant example. You've said voice and and that whole thing of figuring out it, it being a way sort of you could call it a therapy but a language as well to figure out things to express her concern her worry about that wave and as you said she wouldn't have had that opportunity at all sure you know it's not a typical thing a subject matter I don't imagine in in most in a lot of schools or certainly in EY earlier settings like we wouldn't be talking probably wouldn't be talking about tsunamis so there the opportunity isn't there but with that space and that freedom to express she had that opportunity and that's it's really important isn't it yeah and it's the kind of thing that you mightn't always you know as adults we know that very often these things happen in other places because we have the experience and knowledge that we've built up over over time 
Um, but to a child, if they see this happening at a beach and they live near a beach, just as an example, there are all kinds of others. Um, we don't have that window into what the child is thinking if without that opportunity to express themselves in other languages. Yeah. So so thinking then about, you know, what does creativity mean to you? What does it, you know, what does it bring to your your life? What, you know, wh why do you think it's important as um, a way that we work with children? Um, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I might talk about it twofold slightly, but um, I mean, even drawing on my own experience of why at such a young age I developed, like I remember from four you know, developing an interest. Now, the interest might have been the the reaction of the my parent, my mother saying, oh, you're very good at art. That That's a technical thing, right? So, but oftentimes, uh, you know, that, that can happen, but that's not the important bit. The important bit is it was a vocabulary. It was a language that I could use to express myself. And I think most humans most hu humans are creative and and um making marks on a page is something that we can all access but um i do think through <laughs> revert a little back bit back to templates i think templates take away that because i often find through school um teaching different age groups usually around the seven age mark that this is what i've seen a pattern of this children start to become very critical of themselves and they're um, so it destroys that that joy and that self-confidence. But what I think creativity is, I think creativity necessitates risk uh, and self-expression. So that risk being <laughs> that the, the reindeer's eye isn't necessarily in the right place or isn't there at all or, you know, that that it's not following the and um, this is what you should do to create a reindeer so it involves risk it's self-expression it's the unknown and I suppose adults need to get comfortable with the unknown and oftentimes um let's say for instance early years practitioners might you know we might end up if we're doing a uh, a workshop with our early years practitioners or in a setting um that they might ask they might say that they want lots of ideas they'd love more ideas so that's that's great. And we're always happy and um, more than happy at Recreate to help provide lots of ideas. But the other thing is we don't necessarily need loads of ideas. We might need to ask more questions, but the children have the ideas and we just need to create that space. And maybe all we need to do is is find the joy ourselves and the creative confidence ourselves again. Like that, that would be ideal. But, you know, like the Reggio Emilia practice of curating uh certain materials so you're creating provocations for the children um but cre but creativity i think is in everything my my son who is just gone four doesn't particularly like drawing actually um but he is has a super brain for maths for languages for patterns for reading um and i think they're as valuable and they are as, and I see his creativity in different ways. Um, and I, I think maths is very creative. I think science is very creative, even though I'm wasn't typically good at maths, but I think again, that's the limitations of the, the schooling system, the curriculum to not allow people who might not be the best 
at a particular subject to find a way in. Likewise with art, typically, you know, there's the people who are good at art, there's the people who are good at maths. But I think that's where the system is failing, basically. Um, so I think creativity is in everything. But I think the most important thing is that process, is that joy that uh, you find in the process, the experience. So it's experiential. It's not a product. It's how you feel and how you access that joy. Curiosity, sense of wonder, optimism, interest. Yeah, I was just going to say about curiosity, isn't it? That mm-hmm. bit of, you know, the materials and let's see what we can do with these. And that's where, you know, I suppose the whole area of STEM then comes into it, that, you know, matching creativity with let's see what kind of a bridge I can build for the engineer or for the artist. How can I make a sculpture? It's the same process maybe with um, different media and in, in uh, different disciplines. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so we've talked a lot about, you know, encouraging curiosity, uh, bringing that sense of sense of joy. Um, so, uh, you know, I know you wanted to talk about some of, you know, that, that those ways of kind of making the, um, you, you know, re- reducing the reliance on, on templates, giving children the opportunities, because there is a bit, you know, it can be a bit difficult to start that journey of, getting rid of templates and very product oriented. So, you know, if you have some practical ideas on how settings, you know, maybe even particularly at this time of the year when, you know, we've said goodbye to the witches and the Santis and the reindeers are going to um, start to take over a bit in in, in settings. So, yeah. you know, how we can start that journey. Yeah, I think you gave a beautiful example there, even like by saying, how might you build a bridge with these, like even that being a provocation and you have a set of materials. So it might be, how might you build a, I don't know, it could be anything, could be Santa's Grotto, maybe that's not interesting enough. I think first and foremost, if we start asking ourselves questions, this is where we we will find the answers. So I think rather, so I will absolutely try to give some suggestions I think um, there's so many answers. Um, So if we kind of say to ourselves, can we resist controlling the children's creativity? Um, Can we resist sending them home with a a reindeer? Can we resist fixing? Um, And what does child play and creativity look like? Is this activity child-led? Could it be more child-led? So that if as you go on, that if you ask those questions of yourself, you know, you will develop a practice that is much more child-led. Then in terms of materials and and approaches, um, I'm definitely interested in in combining a lot of natural materials with reuse materials. We did some videos there for um, our earlier members um, recently, and one of them was was quite nice. I have a couple of nice examples and, and some for the Pajama Day Fund also. Um, so one nice example is taking not paper plates but uh, plastic plates we have these plastic lids and this idea of capturing stuff inside them and then that could be anything but there you've got a little bit let's say a safety net for yourself where you've got that um not not template but you've got a, a thing that you've got to fill and and that thing could end up being a sun catcher for autumn or even a christmas decoration so it might be that you've laid out conquerors all sorts of beautiful natural materials and a combination of some uh, it could be ribbon there whatever you think 
might look a bit nice or Christmassy or stuff that you have around. Or if you are a Recreate member, whatever stuff is to hand in Recreate. So I suppose oftentimes constraints breed um, creativity as well. And that's what we would often promote in Recreate. So rather than, you know, you can't, it's not like going on Amazon or anything and ordering whatever you want and putting in a Google search, you know, what we have is the surplus from industry and it's how do we get creative with that but going back to the the plates then it's just about maybe the children making choices about what they would like inside that and capturing it and it's not it's not a face it's something abstract and it's something decorative and simple but there's a nice little um you know there would be even learning in that or or asking the children questions how would we tie this together now how would we stop these um materials from falling out so maybe they will suggest tape, but tape's quite a good idea. Okay, so how do we use the tape and how how would you lay it down? And there's loads of learning in all of those questions. Keep our, as you said, Maura, keep your life simple. Don't cut out loads of holly. Don't, it's not serving you and it's actually not serving the children. So let them have the answers. Keep it really simple and open-ended. Um and another thing which I love doing, and it again so simple, is creating collages from from natural materials. So there, in one of the PJ Fund videos, you'll see that there's um, an owl made from leaves and conkers and twigs. So even that, like, so that ends up looking like something. So you know that could be that doesn't even need to be a starting point. You know, the, you, you know, your provocation could be. Could you make a creature? Could you make uh, a Chris if you want to stick to the Christmas theme? But it's not necessary that we always have to be thematic either, you know. So again, give yourself the freedom to step away from that. Myself, as a parent of a four-year-old, I don't have that expectation from uh, for my son to bring home um, a particular item. I would rather, certainly rather, his experience be good and enriching and that's the important thing. So I would say don't satisfy the parents, don't satisfy me, you don't need to do that. Um, So it doesn't have to be thematic. I suppose there is a bit, sorry to cut across, you know, but that's a really, I think that's a really important point. It's kind of informing the parents at the same time. So you don't have parents sitting at home wondering why they're not coming home with Christmas decorations that, you know, that you're uh, talk about creativity in your policies and procedures. You talk about your approach to um, uh, creativity and curiosity and, and so on. Um, and I think most parents will, you know, will understand that and will have more of an appreciation for the owl that their child created from scratch than um, something identical that they'd be hard pushed to see, you know, where their child is as opposed to, you know, um, their their friend or classmate. Yeah, so true. And that's where comparisons lie, because if you say if you show a template and say this is how it's supposed to be done, then, you know, if you don't meet that or somebody sitting beside you does a better job at meeting that template, that's where you you start to say to yourself as a child, I'm not good at art. And <laughs> because the because it's not fair and it's it's not supporting diversity as well. It's not support, it's not inclusive really when it comes down to it. Um so in, inclusivity is obviously celebrating people's uh differences and uh, different approaches. Um 
And and look, but with that collage piece, so like you don't have to use glue with that. It's all natural, sustainable. You can also use reuse materials in the same way. You can collage them in any in any way you want and you could put them in a tray so that they're contained. And then it just means that also you're not creating work for yourself, that you've got loads of materials that you can use again. You're not gluing them all together. They're not finished. You could take a photograph if you like for parents. Maybe you have a WhatsApp group for, group for parents. So you send it by WhatsApp or you do a printout at the end of the year and they they have that record of the image. Um, but I certainly don't need, as I said, loads of loads of art sent home at all. Yeah. And that idea of transient art is something that I've been reading a little bit about lately, you know, even painting on, on glass or mirrors and taking a photo. And that's kind of the product rather than, you know, the, something that's coming home to be put on the fridge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that right. it, you know, it's, there's maybe a team effort or, or whatever involved in, in that. So, Liz, um, in the area of inclusion, how do you think creativity and art uh, can support inclusion in early year settings and school age? And school age as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, so. I think, again, just going back to I know I'm saying a lot process led art again, it lends itself beautifully to inclusion because there is no comparison. Whatever you produce is what you produce. And, you know, for for instance, for me, having one hand, uh, as a child, then we're working with process-led, you do things in your own way. There's not a particular way to do something or to make something. You know, it, it's extremely democratic. And then it's it's so important for children who are non-verbal or who have um you know different disabilities that uh whatever it is that there is room for them to do it in the way that works for them to create in a way that works for them like my son isn't non-verbal but his communication is different to other children's um to neurotypical children's way of communicating so really um yeah process-led completely embraces all abilities. I think you also mentioned when we were chatting beforehand about, you know, helping children to even gather and assemble the materials um, in advance, if that's possible. You, I think you said that, didn't you? Yeah, I think I basically I'm trying to suggest ways that take all of the work and the worry out of, um, out of the hands of the practitioner, that from the very scratch, from the very first, I mean, the whole point of, as well workshops is that the children are doing do the work essentially so but it is more empowering if they're even choosing from the very start and whether that's on the nature trail and you would of course be doing that um but thinking about every step of the way where is the work and where can I deflect the work and it will be enjoyable for the children it will be more empowering for them you talked as well about kind of having light boxes and so on then so that maybe when you come in with the leaves or the conquerors or the holly leaves or whatever that may be in uh, the garden of the creche or preschool or a bit further afield if you're able to to go further using media like light and sound to help the children in their curiosity. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? I thought that that sounded lovely when we were chatting. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, so again, as part of our offering to Early Years members, 
for recreate we created some videos and one of those was how to make a very cheap very economical light box because they're very expensive we have a huge one which I think was donated to us years ago so we're very lucky to have such a big one um, here in recreate but they're expensive so um, most settings I, I don't imagine can fork out for them so in a very simple way we have these pizza boxes obviously uh, the stuff that we get it into the warehouse is clean so it's never being used it's just end of line supplies um but you could use like a, a clean one that you get at home or, or ask a local um um takeaway to to give you one and on one side of the takeaway box where there was the um, packaging and the, the name of the takeaway or whatever um was a circle of and so I just cut out the circle, so follow the line. But even at that, you could have the children involved in that. You could use um, a scalpel away from the children, cut a, a line um, both in different directions uh, that goes to the edge of the circle and then see if any of the children can cut, uh, help you cut the circle. If they can't, you can do that really quickly. And then you're pla just placing in a piece of tracing paper or grease proof paper or any sort of see-through paper that you have. You might even have something like a sort of a light uh, acetate that is frosted and you can just tape that at the back and you don't see that. And then you flip the sort of pizza box inside out so um you've just got it it's just lovely and brown on the outside nice sort of raw look to it and then you pop any sort of light source in it so see what you have to hand whether it's a mobile phone you know it could be just something that you throw in for 15 minutes while the children play um or it could be a, a small set of led lights that you get in a two euro shop or it could be a big set of, of uh, fairy lights that you plug in. So whatever you have to hand um, use. And I just think they're in and of themselves, light boxes are these beautiful um, explore, exploration tools for us to look more closely at the leaf or, or whatever we find on our nature trail or even the reuse materials. And then also there's you could play with reflections then. So uh, you could make an open-ended kaleidoscope by just uh if you had a sort of a mirror card or foil we've lots of foil here different sort of foil to tin foil but anything that is reflective uh glue it onto card and then just break the the length of card into three parts and tape it up and you could you know do that with children but then you've got this open-ended kaleidoscope that you could use alongside the light box and explore different things um, like beads or buttons um, and, and by having an open-ended kaleidoscope rather than something that has a fixed end you can go out into nature and explore and look in different ways see things in a different way so yeah so just promote those sort of as you said the the lights and the sound really think about your environment and how you can change your environment make it more intimate and change up your spaces for more uh, quiet sensory experiences as well can be lovely. Life mm. is um, life is fabulous, and even mm. if if people are able to get their hands on um, uh, uh, overhead projectors, they can yes. be they can be fascinating. You know, um, yeah. just keep an adult yeah. near the um, operating end, yeah. but you know the way the shapes that. You know, yeah. when children put them on the bed, the way they look so different on yeah. the on the wall and the projection projection space is fabulous. Gorgeous, it is. It's beautiful, yeah. and also you can play with your own shadows there as well. 
if you have a sheet, the back projector, a sheet. And if you're close, or it doesn't have to be a back projector even, but if you're closer to the light, you're bigger. If you're closer to the curtain, you're smaller. So you could play like uh, around with things like the Gruffalo's child, sorry, the Gruffalo and the mouse and stuff like that. Play with size and children love that sort of thing, don't they? They absolutely do. It's fascinating. I, I remember one time seeing what looked like just a bit of bent wire on, mm-hmm. on the bed of the overhead projector. But when you looked on the wall, it was a cat. Deadly. That's it so was cool. fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely fabulous. And, you know, the shapes and, you know, the finger um, finger play and so on. So, yeah, there's so many lovely ideas there. Um Liz, do you want to, to add something about um, just engagement and, um, you know, keeping it meaningful for children and, you know, kind of maybe letting go of um, our adult preconceptions of maybe where we'd like something to go just as we start to wrap up? Yeah, I suppose I could I could glad, gladly wax lyrically about this for a long time, as, as you can too, as in it's just so enjoyable when you start to talk about it and start to explore it yourself and develop your own practice more towards this, this way of working. Um, so I think putting it simply, um, for me, process-based, child-led, creative exploration obviously should be the guiding principle ideally for parents for practitioners school teachers so I think it should go on beyond early years it shouldn't stop at early years you know there should be that ideally uh that holistic approach to education and this lifelong learning or this lifelong um kindergarten um and that the play that children engage in has purpose it has a lot of purpose um it develops it develops um even active citizenship to look at it in that way it develops democracy it's um that that is essentially what voice is it's democratic and that's so important for for children and for society as well um it develops critical thinkers from an early age and um, so it's this this opposite to the this notion of the banking system of knowledge or education children are constructing their own knowledge constructing their own bank of information um they learn about their preferences. They have a sense of control uh, over their lives through this self-expression. Um, they choose what what they want to play with and how they play. And it promotes self-esteem, trust in themselves, which I think is really important to self-esteem, to be able to trust yourself um, and to have that space to do that. Um, and I think it res- develops resilience, which is a, a huge thing. And I think it, it partly in what you said, Maura, in, in that self-expression and that in that way of working things out, but also through trying to build your bridge and failing or the the bridge collapsing, and for them to get really comfortable with that, to get because re- constantly you're you, you're constantly that's a battle um, for everyone to get co- very comfortable with mistakes because they are a necessity, and their and exploration is a necessity of innovation. So I I I think. I don't like the idea of completely, and I don't mean this in the context of early years, but I don't like the idea of completely throwing out, let's say, the template. And I don't mean the template. So like stuff like learning how to create a circuit could be important so that you pass that information onto a child. And then based on that, they have the space to pursue pursue something else and pursue a new um, design and to innovate. So I think um, 
that 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 is important but it has its place and primarily we really really do need to be um supporting that process i don't think there's there's no end to the um the the positives with process led um play and to do away with the template so yeah that's it so great. there's no reason why you shouldn't want to pursue it basically yeah well they're two great two great takeaways um play and process led um liz thanks thanks so much uh your passion is is very clear um when you're talking about the the process and the enjoyment and the uh, inclusivity and curiosity it's wonderful so thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today oh thanks for talking to me more i really appreciate it and thank you for listening to this episode of early childhood ireland's podcast which is proudly supported by aricus insurance if you enjoyed it please subscribe and spread the word to your friends and colleagues and do stay tuned for our next episode <laughs>